Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Facepalm Diaries. After recording a few episodes, Google Ads popped into my screen saying, are you a new podcaster struggling with your vocabulary? Download a new app and revise everything. Well, thanks Google. Today I bring you our first celebrity on the show. I met him on 2020 when the world stopped to take a nap and started singing happy birthday while washing their hands. I can only highlight a few of his achievements. An actor, performer, improviser, writer, comedian, a beatboxer extraordinaire. He's not just a person, he's a human Swiss army knife. He's the type of person that I like to call my theater therapist. But not just that, we're not done yet. He's a father, a partner, and for the last 27 years has been a senior member of everything at Boom Chicago, Amsterdam. Ladies and gentlemen, Fasten your seatbelts, put on your helmets, lock up your horses, and get ready for the one and only Rob Andres Bloop! Hello, hello, Rob! Hi, Zoe. How are you doing? I am doing very well. Oh. I love your studio. It has an amazing view. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I always thought that toddler toys is the perfect way to go. There are some toddler toys that I think I'm going to be leaving with, especially <laughs> the blockhouse. That looks like a lot of fun. Uh, Noah, I'm saying this to my son. We apologize for using your toys for prompts for this podcast. Thank you, Noah. <laughs> we've been, we've known each other for the last three years, I think. Yes. We met in 2020. We started with a group of other ridiculous people. We joined your class at Boom Chicago. Uh, it was uh, at Boom Chicago with the Boom Academy. And y'all started off in level one and then graduated level four. And had uh, several performances after that. Yeah, it was a yeah. joy. Yeah, it was really nice. And I remember every time we would start the class, if somebody new would come in, you would tell them the story about your last name. <laughs> <laughs> well, the last name, yeah. When my wife and I got married, she was one name, I was the other name. And instead of she taking mine or I taking her name, we just pushed them together. And people would go, upon looking at her name, whoa, are you guys Greek? And like, no, that's our friend Zoe. Bam. <laughs> so you're from the, from the Netherlands. No, you're not from the Netherlands. Nope. So here's my story. I was born uh, in Massachusetts, eastern part of America, and went to high school and didn't find out about improvisational comedy until uh, middle of high school when on television I saw a TV show called Whose Line Is It Anyway coming out of the UK. And I thought, wow, this is some fun comedy, better than some sitcoms and such. And that was the last I actively thought of improvisation until I got to university. The second half of my first year, an improv comedy group based at my university, which incidentally is the oldest and first improvisational comedy group on a collegiate level in the United States. Oh. It was started by Steve Carell. Oh, wow. Longer story, even longer. <laughs> These people called the Burpee CD Theatrical Company held auditions only for freshmen, only for first-year people. And it was on the weekend, and I had no plans on that weekend, so I went downhill, did the theater department, auditioned. They got back in touch with me the day after. And then 12 hours later, I was a member of uh, an elite group of comedians. Ooh. That's where I got the first taste of improv. Oh, nice. And when did you start studying acting? Oh, golly. Uh, the thing is, I've been improvising longer than I've been acting. Mm -hmm. After university, I moved back to the Massachusetts home state area 
and knew that if I wanted to continue with improvisation, the only thing or only place I could go to was Chicago. And after about three years, a company called Boom Chicago came to Amsterdam and auditioned for the first time. Before that, it started by two gentlemen and would cherry pick friends to come mm. out for two months or so. Mm -hmm. And then in 94, they did very well, still did the same thing. 95, still doing it. Then in 96, they thought, okay, let's go longer and let's bring in more people. So mm -hmm. I was part of the first group mm -hmm. of people uh, in the first open audition of Boom Chicago. The legends, as we used to call you guys. Yes, the legends, indeed. And there is actually, I remember backstage, you showed us that there was a letter that I think the creator sent to the um, uh, municipality of Amsterdam about the idea behind Boom Chicago. And the answer was like, ah, this will not be appealing. They don't like in Amsterdam to listen to... Uh, English comedy, something like that, right? All of that. Yeah. Absolutely what you're saying. The uh, producer of Boom Chicago faxed, that's that's how uh, long ago it was, faxed the Fei Fei Fei, the tourist department. And the Fei Fei Fei, in their, in their Dutch brilliance, emailed back and itemized and answered every single question that was posed. And all of them were, no, don't start. This will fail. Save your money. Stay in America. They are, People will not get this. Stay home. All the best, the Fei Fei Fei. Wow. And now, Boom Chicago is the longest-running English-language comedy theater in the Netherlands. Oh, wow. Take that in your face, FFB. Fei Fei Fei. So there's a lot of people who might ask, is improv only for extroverts, or can anyone benefit from it? I want to say that improvisation is good for everybody. I tell people that it's the most beneficial cult you will ever belong to. It is the cult that will never hurt you. It's very simple. There's so many rules of improvisation and many, if not all of them are made by improvisers to be broken, except for the elemental fundamentals of improvisation. The three being stay positive, actively listen, and say yes and. Yes and is the cornerstone of yeah. improvisation. Yet it is so darned important to operate in a, a way of positivity and to actively listening because listening is key. Is it just for comedians? Absolutely not. It's for everybody. It's a way to go through life with a sense of empathy and kindness and to build off of one another. Yeah, yeah. I like what you're saying um, because also... In the process, when I was trying to get this podcast started, all of your advices came up like stay positive or if you're having fun, they're having fun. And I was thinking this, you can implement it everywhere. Like let's say at your work, you're trying to make a presentation and people are falling asleep. Well, if you're falling asleep, everybody will fall asleep. But if you're enjoying it, the other people will enjoy it too. But what I like about improv, I actually have a story to share. Uh, I had the other day, I was dreaming. So I was thinking about the yes and element that you're talking about. So I was having this weird dream where my husband, we're in Africa. I don't know why in Africa. He's wearing a wig of Donald Trump and he says to me, would you like to sleep with me for money? And I'm like, uh, okay, that's a bit weird, but yes, sure. And then he goes like, would you like to sleep with other men just like me? And they were all versions of my husband with different haircuts. I don't know why. For money. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. Am I, am I a slut right now? And I'm like, yes, and I am. There, there must be a reason why I, I am right now. 
and then <laughs> and I, I everything was well I was doing my, my job pretty pretty well and then I wake up in the morning and I'm like wait a minute what was happening in my dream why was I improvising this role and then I remember that Thomas told me the other day have you seen the gas prices lately we need to tighten our belts oh so I was selling my body to pay for the electricity bill Makes absolute sense. <laughs> How you yes-handed while dreaming. Zoe, you're still a great improviser. You still are. Thank you. But it's true. Like, we're, we're improvising in our life on a daily basis on yeah. many roles. One cannot live like an improviser 100% of the time. If you yeah. say yes to everything in life, you'll die. So you can't. But when it is safe to do so, when you feel comfortable enough to actively listen and then respond to other people to listen not so you can talk next but to listen so you can respond to what has been said to you mm -hmm. those are the elements of communication of getting yeah. along and this is a planet that's on fire we need to be able or we need to try and listen to people and respond to people better that way there is a, a stand-up that I, I listen to he's a lovely podcast his name is dana gould i'm plugging dana gould he talks about how his uh, daughter is having difficulty meeting friends in school, and he tells her, just go up to anybody that you find appealing, introduce yourself, and just say the words, tell me, what do you like? And listen, and that's how you make friends. Yeah. That's how you make connections. You go up to people and ask them about them and let them talk. And then hopefully they'll let you talk as well so you have a dialogue so it's not a monologue. They get excited because you're asking them what they like. And they turn. They, they, they transform into that person they want to be instead of the person of who they are. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I wanted to ask you if you have a memorable moment or experience from your whole career that you want to share. Oh, gosh, there's thousands, uh, literally thousands of moments because uh, I've been performing on stage for so long. It's no secret that we're living in the Netherlands. And in the Netherlands, there are relaxed and tolerated drug policies. Uh, I don't condone performing high. There was a special show at the theater where the actors would traditionally be paid in alcohol, and that was a different show. But one Saturday evening where, by law, the theater had to serve Everyone who is working, from cast to wait servers to bartenders to the box office, dinner. So in between shows, we'd have about 30 minutes of a turnover where everyone could take a break and then go to the kitchen. And the kitchen would always make everybody salads, pastas, pizza, beef stroganoff, what have you. And this night, it was spaghetti and meatballs with a salad with an oil and vinaigrette. And there was a plate <laughs> of chocolate chip cookies. And... Zoe, chocolate chip cookies are my Achilles heel. They're always going to take me out. So grab a little salad, a couple things of bread, uh, spaghetti. Ooh, chocolate chip cookies. And I just thought, let's have dessert first. So cookie number one, cookie number two, cookie number three. Rob, no. And I, what, 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 what? Rob, oh, God, those are hash cookies. <laughs> that evening, the kitchen staff decided to make a batch of powerfully strong hash cookies, uh, two and a half of which I ate. Wow. Uh, as soon as I downed the remainder of the third, our floor manager came out and said, places in 20 minutes. I was so high that show. I don't remember much. I do remember the audience laughed at a rhyme I made up. I rhymed Amsterdam with hamster trim. Uh, Makes sense. It, uh, to me, it did. Uh, I was flying like a kite. I was so high I could hunt ducks with a rake. 
And after the show, the director grabbed all of the actors and the tech, brought us upstairs and said, all right, everybody hunker down. I've got some notes, but most of them are for Rob. And then everyone, David, don't you know what happened? They explained everything and Dave just looked at me, took all the notes and he ripped them up and went, have a good night, everybody, especially you. I remember you also told us during improv not to make jokes about farting. So you were asking the crowd, give me an idea about this or that. And somebody came with the idea of a dildo or something like that. And it happens. It happens. It's it, a funny thing. Yeah. And you said, like, yeah, you don't like it as much. No. Why? I was raised in an improvisational environment where we would not swear. We would not say anything sexual. We're more importantly, we were instructed to play to the height of our intelligence, to not stoop to conquer, because anybody can say fart or dildo or sauna and get an immediate laugh. But if you play to the height of your intelligence, you have to go beyond just, hey, it's a dildo. This is hysterical. Oh, it's a sauna. Funny things happen in there. Mm. Sure, it's not just enough to be funny. You have to yes and that funny to create something. Uh, the go-tos of dick or fart, that's three-year-old toddler jokes. <laughs> and they're funny. They are, yeah. Mm, there's nothing wrong with a fart joke. I believe people can do better. Yeah, yeah. That's what I would say. They're not wrong. They're just a weak choice. Yeah, yeah. I love fart jokes. Come I love on. fart jokes, too. But, yeah, they're easy is what you said. It can be easy in a household. It can be easy in a high school. Uh, it, yeah. can, uh, it can be easy in a break room. When you're on stage... And somebody, you ask for something and they give you uh, something that you don't want, uh, like Dildo yeah. Sauna, Red Light District. And if you take it, if the person who is introducing the game takes it, you want to play to the height of your intelligence. Yeah. You don't want, if the suggestion is Red Light District, you, the people do, the audience, they, they're, they're titillated. Uh, and they're also thinking, oh, it's going to be funny because it's Red Light District. It's just a location. Uh, we're people not going to see a scene. Uh, yeah, people work there. People pay taxes. Yeah. There are unions. If the premise is hysterical. Like, what's funnier, a Red Light District and a librarian or a librarian who happens to work in the Red Light District? Yeah. It's that. That I find funnier. Yeah. yeah. Uh, instead of going, oh, look, whores. Whores are funny. Uh, whores are people. Whores yeah. work. And whores are sex workers. Yeah. So. By the way, I remember you told us, whatever the crowd will give you as a suggestion, you have to work on it and yes, end it. And I remember one guy, our friend Alexander, he's a PhD candidate. He's a mathematician. Mm -hmm. And somebody suggested mathematics or something like that. And I remember he goes to the crowd and he goes, well, no. Ah, oh, bless Alexander. Yeah. Oh, I miss that guy. Hey, Alexander, if you're listening, we love you. We miss you. Yeah, man. Hope you're well. Yeah. Truly. And you're a good dude. Yeah. So you have two kids and you always talk about them with so much sweetness. Sometimes I'm thinking I want you to be my father, but yeah, you, you can't adopt me due to laws in the Netherlands. But I wanted to ask you how becoming a father has influenced your comedy. Huh. Uh, that's a great question. Um, having kids and how that has inspired or influenced my comedy, it's made me more patient. It's given me more perspective with other performers. With kids, you as a mother can attest that whatever needs you have are out the window. So you want to take care of your children immediately. 
sometimes that translate onto the stage. Like, yeah, I'm not going to take care of myself. I'm going to take care of the other person. Yet with improvisation, the rule is if you want to take care of your partner, you take care of yourself. So having kids has given me a tremendous opportunity to have a little more patience working with people, to give more people the benefit of the doubt because they're not coming at it from the same perspective I am, uh, to listen a little bit better, uh, and also to have more patience for making mistakes. And yeah. mistakes are essential to grow. Yeah. And we live in a period where everything needs to be politically correct. Do you think that has affected comedy? Do you, do you feel that sometimes it can be limiting? I don't feel like it limits my kind of comedy because my kind of comedy isn't the one that punches up or punches down. I don't punch. Mm -hmm. I explore various stages of the human condition. And I have colleagues who love to do political comedy. That's, that's where they thrive. They can fight against those giants mm -hmm. and such like that. I'm more of an everyday average person comedian. So I try not to insult anybody. Uh, the, the kind of comedy I, I lead with is the positive kind. It's yeah. always been that way. I find it uncomfortable to make fun of other people. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, you know, there is the punch-upable people, and those are the people whom should uh, comedy be made. Yet, uh, like with political correctness and wokeness, I find if people are saying that hurts my feelings, uh, okay, then I won't say it. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't get mad when somebody says, oh, I can't say this, oh, I can't say this. They're essentially saying, oh, I can't be mean. I can't say what I want to mm -hmm. say because mm -hmm. that person gets insulted. Well, shame on that other person. Mm, that's real selfish. Yeah, yeah. Real selfish. Maybe at some point you can make an inappropriate joke and you didn't realize that it was inappropriate and then you can come back with another joke which can be positive and address that issue and apologize. I think that's possible too. We live in the long tail of of life and living in the internet where nothing ever goes away. Mm. Uh, and that makes people afraid to make mistakes. Yes, exactly. That's what people shouldn't be afraid to make mistakes. Uh, they shouldn't be afraid of failure. Uh, going back to the whole improvisation theme, uh, what you believe to be a mistake, your partner could believe to be a gift. So we learn from our mistakes or somebody will take that mistake and, and make it into something that is beneficial. Uh, we shouldn't be afraid to make mistakes. We should be aware to not hurt other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. that's the, the comedy I rock. Yeah. I remember during our class, we played so many fun games and what was fun about it, I don't know, I felt like I was a kid. Uh, one of them was um, commercials. You told us to make a commercial. And I remember we made a commercial about one of our friends. We thought to promote a hair product, but since he doesn't have hair, to call it Shine Boo, which basically is a moisturizing cream. And then we even made a song, Shine Boo for me, doo doo, Shine Boo for you, Shine Boo for everybody, Shine Boo for me and you, which is... <laughs> Oh, give me some of that shine poo. Your class, uh, were, and, and, and all the other classes that I've taught, I want to say, have given and generated so much joy. So many fun, discoverable things. It's, with the improv games, they're designed so that 
you and your partner or partners can collaborate and discover stuff together. That's the beauty of improvisation. It's never, uh, all right, let's look for that funny joke. We're gonna, we're gonna find it. Uh, you discover it. Yeah. The moment that you take yourself out and look for the stuff is the moment you should stop doing improv and start again because it's a discovery. It's organic. That's why audiences love it so much. They yell a suggestion and then the two or four improvisers, however many, take it and then create a flower of beauty. And then after the show, folks will come up to the improviser and say, hey, I really enjoyed your show. And by the way, I was the one who yelled out doctor and patient. <laughs> like, yes, you did. You helped us out plenty. Uh, that's all you did. You gave the suggestion. Yet, with all of the games and all of the performers, it all comes together to a nonstop delicate pulse of joy i still remember you were telling us okay you're gonna do this scene in different genres for example sci-fi or sitcom and at some point you said period drama and i <laughs> and i didn't know what period drama is so i started pretending that i have my period <laughs> and we're just dramatic about it that's the best oh period drama thank you for bringing that back to my memory <laughs> Before coming here, I remember Thomas was so excited about meeting you. And he Thomas, was, your husband. My husband, yeah. And he was like, oh my God, I really want to ask him so many questions. I love Rob so much. And the one thing that I like about you is that there are many artists and comedians out there, but you are the very rare ones that you're not so selfish. You care about others so much. You care about the community. You care about um, lifting other people up. I remember in our last improv, you brought us flowers and you wrote us a custom custom letter for you guys were the last people i did that for everyone else can go to hell but it was that's so, so not sweet. true it was so nice so what is your life philosophy uh my life philosophy is one it's real simple uh, and it's one my dad instilled into me or uh instilled might not be the word uh he raised me with the golden rule mm -hmm. my dad was catholic my mom is Jewish, uh, the guilt kills me, uh, but real simple, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Mm. That has always my entire life resonated. Uh, a friend of mine bumped it up a little bit more, treat strangers the way that you would want strangers to treat your family. And it's such an easy thing, but you have to constantly remind yourself to do, mm -hmm. to, all right, operate on a positive level. We are all in this life together, and a lot of people out there have demons, mm -hmm. and they're struggling with them. So they don't know you. You don't know them. Why not operate by leading with kindness? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know why, though. There's a lot of people that are jealous when you're doing something well, and it, it doesn't make sense to me because actually, if we were doing the opposite, if we're not jealous and if we're supporting each other, that means there's more space for you as well to succeed together. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that means there's space for you too. It's not only in Hollywood and success doesn't have to always be dun, 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 something big. It I think that everybody who's ever graduated from Boom Chicago, as far as cast members are concerned, have gone on to become successful mm -hmm. people. 
successful people. I will emphasize where I want. Those people who used to be at Boom Chicago have gone on to become successful, either in their career of choosing uh, like show business or corporate facilitation or their parents, their members of society that are contributing in a big way. I feel everybody who has gone through Boom Chicago has become successful in that way. I think I'm successful uh, in that I have a beautiful family. I'm performing. I'm doing what I love uh, for people who I adore. Mm-hmm. And uh, an Irish person once told me after a show, if you love your job, you don't work a day in your life. I've been unemployed for 32 years, 27 of them in the Netherlands. I know how fortunate I am, and I know what I can give and bring to the table. Yeah. Yeah. Be a force of positivity. We live in in a world that's on fire right now. You can be part of the kindling, or you can be part of the water that kind of tamps it down. It's entirely up to you. There's no such thing as good choices or bad choices. There is only weak choices and strong choices. And everybody is the captain of their own person. Choose strongly. Before you came here, I made a small research and Googled you. And I figured out that you recently played in a TV series on Disney+. Plus. So uh, I was in a miniseries on uh, Disney+. Plus, mm-hmm. And it is the story of the woman who helped the Frank family find hiding during World War II. It's called A Small Light. And the lead was played by Leif Schreiber. Mm-hmm. He played Otto Frank. And that was the big star in the picture. I have a very small role in it. And it is not comedic by any stretch. I play a Jewish professor who is on his hands and knees scrubbing the roads and brickwork in front of the Mantelbanturen by the Autoschans. And yeah, a Nazi beats me down. It's an intense scene. I was very nervous when my agent reached out to me and said, would you be interested in this project? It is a period piece. And I thought, okay, ooh, it's that kind. It's addressing uh, the treatment of Jews in World War II. Oh, gosh, I don't know. What's the budget like? And I found out it was Disney and Nat Geo Mm. and thought, well, yep, this is is real. So I went to the fitting for wardrobe and uh, got in my wool suit, wool vest, wool overcoat, because we were shooting in August. And it was super duper hot. So I was at the, the film, the home base, which was in Amsterdam's out, and then we were driven over to the Paperbrug over by Nemo. And so I was waiting in the van, tricked out in my 1940s wear with a big yellow star on my jacket that said Jew. I'm sitting and I'm on my phone and we're waiting for another passenger. And that passenger came in and it was the stunt coordinator who was dressed like an SS Nazi man. And the, my first instinct was when he jumped in the van was I looked at him and immediately went, Shalom. And he hit me right back with a shalom. It was an intense shoot, wow. not taken lightly, and it was taken very seriously. Oh, wow. I, I want to watch it. So it's on uh, Disney Plus, you mentioned. Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah. Five. Uh, episode five, uh, 20 minutes in. Yeah. So if you want to watch it, go to Disney Plus. You can watch Rob. He's a fantastic actor. And I think you're going to really, really like it. You flatter me so much. I accept all of it. And I don't know if you 
we answer this question, but since you've been on the game, in the, in the hood, uh, inside. The... What are you talking <laughs> about? The game? The hood? Inside the show business for a very long time. Okay. How, what's the secret to keep comedy fresh? Where do you get your ideas from? Uh, golly. Uh, how one, how do I keep my comedy fresh? I'm in a really fortunate position in that by working at Boom Chicago, I get to see up-and-coming improvisers and comedians become part of the cast, leave their imprint, and go on from there. I've watched it. I've been part of it for 27 years. So how do I keep comedy fresh? By going to see comedy, by exposing myself to comedy, new comedy. And for stuff that I might not like, mm. I watch that because maybe it's not for me, but it's definitely for an audience. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like with Saturday Night Live, everyone has their own favorite cast. Mm. And then everyone afterwards says, oh, it's not as good as the old days. Well, yeah, absolutely, because in the old days it was made for you. In the modern days, it's made for a different audience. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like also comedy comes also from everyday activities. Everything has the possibility of being funny. You need to appropriately deal with emotions when it comes to those times, like sadness or grief or, or, even, or even anger. Yet anything can be funny. Yeah. I think what I'm understanding is that in every tragic situation, there is the element of comedy. Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah. In Greece, when we go to a funeral, because we have to hold ourselves, we actually end up laughing. And when we have a wedding, we're like, oh my gosh, she's leaving, she's getting married, she's going somewhere else. So that's what I like about these discussions. They're not merely funny, but not merely dramatic and tragic, because that's how life is. And I like what you said to me, in order to make comedy, you shouldn't try to look for comedy. You should tell the story seriously, and then the comedy will come back to you. <laughs> tell the story, maybe not so much seriously, but honestly. Yeah. Tell the story as how it should be and then discover the comedy. When yeah. you search for comedy, it's harder. And with improvisation, you discover it together. Mm. And that's, as we talked about earlier, the organic, beautiful thing about improvisational comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what are your next plans? Do you have something planned, any projects, anything that you can share with the world? Uh, what am I working on? I am still teaching at, at the theater mm -hmm. and still doing corporate work at the theater. Uh, looking forward to dry weather, but living in the Netherlands, that's just not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I like that everybody says about the weather. Uh, oh, that is a great day in the Netherlands. And it's gone. And there it goes. And there it goes. That was a great summer that lasted all of 30 seconds. <laughs> and that was a great interview. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome, Zoe. It is a joy yeah. to be on your show. You're, Yay. You're part of my heart, part of my family, oh. part of my, you know, I have a circle of weirdos that we don't call ourselves weirdos, but I think we're weird, but I think we're kind of also not weird. I might <laughs> cut this one. This definitely will be cut. But you're part of my inner circle of people that I really admire, really appreciate, really love. And you influence me so much, influence other people. So thank you for being a bright star in the gloom Dutch weather. It's all I can do. Uh, you're very welcome. You're very wonderful, Zoe. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. 
I hope you feel elevated after this bubbly discussion with Rob. He's a powerhouse of joy and learn something about how improvisation can help your life. For the end, I have a small surprise for you. A small improvisation game that we played with Rob and it's a very simple game that you can implement in your daily life. You can incorporate it even today after this episode. So if you laughed, make sure to share this episode with someone you love, share it with a friend, share it with a cousin, actually have a shower with your neighbor. We talked about utility prices and how crazy they've been lately. Oh yeah, and of course, the most important thing, do not forget to wash your hands. We live in a dangerous period of time. See you next time. Zoe had an idea of doing an improv game to show you the power of improvisation. And the game that we're going to be doing is called Dr. Know-It-All. It's a very well-known game where two people will answer one question because we are doctors. And there are two people, yet we share one brain. And we will answer every single question that we are pulling up via chat GPT. <laughs> I, I always get it wrong. That's I, uh, chat GPT. <laughs> we will be answering those questions. One. Word. At a time. Great. This is how it's going to go. So we're going to go to ChatGPT for the first question. Zoe, what is the first question? Why did Britney cut her hair? Britney Spears cut her hair because she liked having a shorter version of her longer hair. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Makes sense. Totally makes sense.